I know what you're thinking. Something's wrong. Are we only sing three songs and then the sermon? We're doing something different today, in case you hadn't realized that. And uh, we wanted to have a service that centers completely around the person, the work, and the promises of Jesus Christ. Uh, if, you're, if you're a guest with us, we normally do our normal way we, we work through is we pick a section of Scripture or a book of the Bible and we study it through every verse. We've been working through Second Peter. Um, been in the second chapter, which was rather an intense chapter. Uh, it was laying out false teachers and it was la- last week very clear identifying who they were and the character and the way they work. And, and so if you've got your Bibles with you, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. So this is a sermon today where the whole service is basically the sermon. We are going to be part of expositing God's Word. And it's really a sermon in contrast. So I want you to set the contrast as we honor Christ, His person, His work, His promises. We do it together. I want to first set 1 John 2, 18 and 19 to help us understand the importance of what we're doing here this morning. So 1 John 2, look at verse 18. It says, Children, it is the last hour. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. And so I want you to look just at verse 18 with me for just a second and ask ourselves, who or what is the Antichrist? He's very clear here in verse 18. There is an Antichrist coming. But what we need to pay attention to and what Peter has been telling us, what First John is saying is there are Antichrists, plural, here now. Now. We've been looking at 2 Peter and 2 Peter helps us understand Not only are they here, they're in God's church. It's an intensity to it. Look with me at 2 Peter 2, verse 1. This is what we've been talking about. Just to remember, let's put a a name with a face here. 2 Peter 2, verse 1 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Listen. Even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. You see, the spirit of the Antichrist is in the false teacher. Despite all these things, and we've identified very clearly at their core, are denying either the person of Jesus Christ, his work of redemption, or his promises. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So what we want to see this morning, very clear in contrast, is we want to celebrate the very things that the Antichrist deny. Who is Christ? What has He done? And what has He promised to His people? So let's just for a minute remember it. Let's remember Christ's person. Remember John 1, 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. 
And so at the very beginning, we must fully and completely acknowledge that Jesus is not like God. Jesus is not a God. Jesus is God. He's fully God. His full deity is an absolute imperative of the Christian faith. It is a non-negotiable. He is fully God. But not only that, turn with me to Galatians 4. Galatians 4 verse 4. Paul, as he is so gifted does, puts a whole lot in a small package here. In Galatians 4 and verse 4, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So what does this say about Christ's person? First says God sent His Son. God the Father sent God the Son, born of a woman. Now remember Genesis, our Genesis study in Genesis 3.15, where the promise was given that through a woman... The serpent will be crushed. So we see that God the Son took on flesh, was born of a woman, born under the law. The law is God's perfect commands that reflect His perfect character. So He was born human, fully man, fully God, so therefore under the law, He must keep it completely and look at what he does. He's born under the law. Why? To redeem those that were under the law. Who's under the law? We are. If you're human today, you're under the law. What does the law do? The law is a magnifying glass into your life and into your heart. But it gives us no remedy for our sinfulness. Christ came and fulfilled the law. Christ never had a bad motive. He never had a bad thought. He never had a bad day. He fulfilled the law. He obeyed the law perfectly. Therefore, could redeem us who are under the curse of the law. Why? Look at what? Look at the so that. So that we might receive adoption as sons. The person of Christ came fully God, fully man, obeyed the law to redeem those that were under the law. And he did not leave us as slaves. He adopted us into his family. So now we are in the family of God. This is Christ's person, fully God, fully man, perfect life, actively obeying in his life, keeping the law, redeeming the unworthy. That's us who are under a curse. Adopted so that we have instant access to the Father. We're going to use that here in just a minute as we share the table. We want to remember his person. We also want to remember his work. Ephesians 1 7, very clearly and concisely helps us remember the work of Christ. It says in Ephesians 1, beginning of verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. So Christ lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law, so that He could enter into the very holy place of God and offer Himself. Listen, this is important to the work of Christ as a substitute. 
This is the heart of the work of Christ. His holiness for your unholiness. His purity for your impurity. Christ is our substitute. Paying the penalty that we should pay for our sin. This was His work. And and when He did, He secured an eternal redemption for His people. Not a temporary one, but an eternal one. Why? It says, verse 7, just to demonstrate the richness of His grace. That's why we are saved. Make no mistake this morning. Acts 20, 28 very clearly says, because of this blood of Christ, because of this substitution, the church belongs to Him. What is the church? This? No. The church is the redeemed. Those whom He redeems, He owns. And if you are in Christ, that's good news. If you're not in Christ, that sounds really bad. This is the difference. We've come to celebrate the fact that we as a church, we belong to Him. He has redeemed us. He has secured us. He has adopted us because of His work. Remember His promises. So many. John 14, verse 1. Just one of the many. John 14, verses 1 and 7. 1 to 7. You remember what's going on here? Jesus has told the disciples many times in many ways, and most of them they didn't completely get. I'm leaving. They're going to kill me. Going back to the Father. This disturbed them. They were troubled. What do you mean you're leaving? It's not part of the plan. John 14, verse 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. And where I am, you also, you may be also. Verse 4. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He goes on to say, because you've seen me. Look at this. Jesus gives them a promise. Gives them at least three promises here. And listen what the promise is not this morning. I know many of us were raised as I was on the King James that, that somehow or another some guy, somebody told you that Jesus is promising them a mansion in the sky. That's not comfort. It wasn't comfort to them. That's not what it meant to the people who heard it originally and it is not what it means for us. He's saying many rooms in my father's house and I'm going to prepare this and you are going to have a room in my father's house with me. See the promise. I go to prepare a place. Promise. Verse 3. I will come again. Promise. I will take you to myself. Promise. Where I am, that's where you're going to be. That's comfort. That's the promises that comes from the one that's in Christ. And no one can take it away. First preparation, and then for eternity, and no more separation. It's good news today.
So let's pray. Then let's worship our God. So Lord, as we come to you, we come to you only one way. Humbly bowing before your son. Lord, it is a privilege to be able to gather here to worship because we would not have believed if you had not given the word to us. The Bible tells us that faith is a gift, repentance is a gift. Your word to us is a gift, it's all a gift. So Lord, we thank you that we have received much this morning. And so now, Lord, we simply want to want to worship a God that sent forth his son. Fully God, fully man, lived perfectly, died atoningly, rose again, so that we may have salvation, Lord, through your son and him alone. This we proclaim, this we worship. Receive our worship now, Lord, as we worship you. In Jesus' name, stand with us as we worship. 1 John 2, 20 through 23 says this. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also, this passage declares that those who deny Jesus is the Christ are liars, antichrists, and false teachers, and therefore do not have a relationship with the Father. However, church, John writes that whoever confesses the glorious person and work of Jesus has the Father and has fellowship with him. This very truth and knowledge of Christ doesn't come from ourselves, but from the Spirit whom now abides in every believer that has been redeemed by the redemptive work of Christ. So church, right now, through the power of the Spirit as the body of the redeemed, may we stand in unison declaring the Lordship and divinity of Christ Jesus our Lord. In total opposition of the false teacher right now, we, the redeemed, will boldly confess the Lordship of Christ, the fundamental beliefs that we have together as one body under the Lordship of Christ. Let us celebrate our God, His incredible love, redemptive work for us and his lordship over our lives. Amen. Who has the power to raise the dead? Who can save us from our sin? He is our hope, our righteousness. Jesus, only Jesus. Who can make the blind to see? Who owes the keys that set us free? He paid it all to bring us peace. His name, Jesus, only Jesus. Holy King, Almighty Lord, 
saints and angels all adore I join with them and bow before Jesus only Jesus who can command who can command the highest praise who has a name above all names you stand alone I stand amazed Jesus only Jesus holy king almighty Lord saints and angels all adore I join Who will command the highest praise? Yours is a name above all names. You stand alone, I stand amazed. Jesus, only Jesus. You will command the highest praise. Yours is a name above all names. You stand alone. I stand amazed. Jesus, only Jesus. Jesus, only Jesus. Holy King Almighty Lord, saints and angels all adore I join with them and bow before Jesus only Jesus Father everlasting, the all-creating one, God Almighty, through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior, I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one, I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again, for I believe in the name of Our judge and our defender Suffered and crucified Forgiveness is in you Descended into darkness 
you rose in glorious light forever seated high come on let's declare i believe in god our father i believe in christ the son i believe in the holy spirit our god is three in one i believe in the resurrection that we will rise again for i believe in the name of I believe in you. I believe you rose again. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe. Oh. sisters I, I ask you now is this what you believe because if it is I invite you to the table brothers and sisters this is this is the Lord's table and just to be clear this morning there's nothing on this table that saves you This cup, this bread, has no justification in it. We take it because we have been justified, not to be justified. We take it to remember that there is nothing we can do to save ourselves, but Christ saved us. Is this what you believe? Then I invite you to the table. We practice open communion. If you are in Christ, you are welcome. Parents, this is not the time to let your children partake. It is a time to let them watch and learn if they are not in Christ. If any in here is not in Christ, the Bible is very clear. Do not come 
to the table. 1 Corinthians speaks very clearly about this because the church in Corinth had many issues going on within the church, some of which even came to the Lord's table, bringing some of their sensuality and stuff into joining it with Christ and His church. And so he wrote some very stern things. 1 Corinthians 11, in verse 17, he says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you to be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you then? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So he makes it very clear. We must be careful of how we come to the table. He goes on in verse 27 and to say, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. The Bible is very clear. If you're in Christ, you're welcome to the table. But we must examine ourselves and come to the table in a worthy manner. So how do we do that? 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourself and see if you're the faith. My prayer is, even as we've been singing, that that's been true. And if that is true, Our reality is, even as believers, that we sin. We hate it. But oftentimes we still fall into sin. And very likely we have sinned against someone made in the image of God even before we got to church today. And so what do we do? 1 John 1 verse 5 says, This is the message we have heard from the beginning. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we come to this moment and realize our worthiness to come to the table. Realize that because of the fact that we are in Christ. Because we are in Christ. If we sin relationally against our God and our Father and our brother, we come to Him and we talk to Him and we repent and we are promised forgiveness because He's faithful, because He's just, because His Son covers us. It's good news this morning. So let's, let's afford ourselves 
before we remember what Christ purchased for us, that is forgiveness. So let's come and repent and receive the forgiveness in Christ. Spend just a minute praying. Lord, in the quietness of this moment, I could remember a few times that when quietness broke me, the stillness of a moment, when your word was stored after it broke. And so, Lord, now we come to you and we say, Lord, our hands are empty. But our eyes are upon your son and your, his cross. Promise that if we come to you any time that you will forgive us of our sins and, and cleanse us. So Lord, we ask you to forgive us for that that we have sinned. The sin of pride and selfishness. Or those, those sins that so easily derail us. Lord, that you would forgive us. Lord, thank you that you promised that you would. And so, Lord, we in faith receive your forgiveness now as we come to the table. And so, as we now as forgiven children, redeemed of God, come to the table, let's take just a minute. Let's remember that the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper at the Passover. What is the Passover? If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus Exodus 12. As you're turning there, remember that God's people had spent 430 years in captivity and God raised up a man to deliver them. And so... Moses went in to Pharaoh and asked to to let God's people go and you know... Pharaoh's heart was hard and changed his mind and so brought the plagues. So we come to a moment of the very last plague where God instituted the Passover. So look with me in Exodus 12, verse 21. It says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lentils and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. Verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Verse 24, you shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he promised you, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what, does, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. 
And the people bowed down their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So don't miss this picture this morning as we remember that Christ, that, that they took this lamb, this animal. We're going to talk about the lamb in just a minute, but they took this, this animal and they slit its throat. Blood caught in a basin and they, they put the blood on the doorpost and over the lintel. And they went into the door, shut the door, and they did not come out of that house till morning. It's only then that that lamb was roasted over a fire and that they were able then to partake in the body of that lamb and they consumed it all. Calls the believer, brothers and sisters, is secured by the blood. The believer can feed on the person of the Lamb of God that's been roasted with fire. You see, fire is a picture of sacrifice. Couldn't be raw, couldn't be boiled, had to be roasted over a fire. This is the picture. If Christ is not seen as the one that was subjected to the fires of God's wrath against sin, one cannot feed upon him. And one cannot feed unless atonement has been made. And so this is the picture. And so in Matthew 26, if you want to flip over there, in Matthew 26, this is the celebration that they come and celebrate together. It is the celebration of the Passover. This was a very intimate, a very personal time, a special, holy time. That families would celebrate with each other. And look who's celebrating with Christ. Verse 17, Matthew 26, verse 17. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. It was a personal, a family meal, celebrating this holy Passover with family. And so as he began, we come to this picture of bread, but not just any kind of bread. It is unleavened bread. It has no leaven you see, in, when this was instituted originally, their redemption, their deliverance was coming quick. So there was no time to put yeast in the bread and let it rise. It had to be quick. They had to have their sandals on. They had to have their belts. They had to be ready to go. He said, so God said, don't put yeast in the bread. Bake it with unleavened. Listen to 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Cleanse out the old leaven. That you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 
to be holy. Why? Because you really are holy. Why? Because we did something good? No, because we're in Christ. Because the Passover lamb, our Christ, has been slain. And he lived without malice or evil. And he lived with sincerity and truth. So this is what we remember when we come. We remember the bread. We remember that Christ's body was crushed for us. So as we, our brothers, come and serve the tables, let us remember the Lamb of God, His body crushed for us, brothers. You came from heaven's throne Acquainted with our sorrow To train the dead we owe Your suffering for our freedom
Father, we come before you this morning as a body of the, of the redeemed to be able to stand before you, Lord, uh, all because um, our sins were placed on, a, on an innocent man. The evil that we've seen this past week, Lord, we know that all evil is abhorrent in your sight. So, Lord, we, we know what you've done for us, that you've taken our sins, placed it on an innocent man, and then expressed your wrath. So, Lord, we ask that we never, ever forget. Amen. So, remember that lamb saw a reenactment one time of some Jewish people where they were reenacting the Passover. They literally took this lamb, one-year-old male, and they would look, look him over, run his his hair backwards, looking for any kind of blemish, any kind of imperfection. If there was, he wasn't an acceptable sacrifice. He had to be without spot and without blemish. Lord, brothers and sisters, most importantly, as Steve has just pointed out, this, this animal was innocent. He didn't do anything. didn't do anything to deserve to lose his life. And yet this innocent, spotless animal coming into this families, and he was slaughtered for the sins of the people. And You know, some people say, well, this began there. No, you see, animal sacrifice, this, this picture of blood being an atonement for sin, goes all the way back to creation. Do you remember? Remember Adam and Eve, they sinned. What happened? Something had to die for them to be covered. You remember Cain and Abel. Cain brought a sacrifice that wasn't accepted. Fruit from his garden. And Abel was brought what to a sacrifice? He brought an animal and it was accepted. You remember Noah and the ark and they brought in extra animals. Why? Remember? For a sacrifice. When they, they came out and delivered, they offered a sacrifice. Remember Abraham and Isaac? They were going to make an offering. God tested them and ended up providing a ram. This takes us all the way up to, to Moses, to this, and now then to the sacrificial system that was, that was put into place to constantly remind us over and over and over. The penalty of sin is death. Someone has to die. Because of your sin. So this we remember. Our Lord. Hebrews 9 verse 11 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then come the greater and more perfect tent. Not made with hands that is not of this creation. He, speaking of Christ, entered once for all into the holy places. Not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Verse 13, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, 
purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. So as we, as we come now to serve the tables, let us remember the blood of Christ that was shed to atone for our sins, brothers. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Oh, no other fountain, no, nothing but the blood of Jesus. the blood of Jesus for my cleansing this my plea nothing but the blood of Jesus glory 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 this I sing not
poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. There's a promise here. If we continue to read, we see, I tell you, Jesus speaking, He says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We have a promise here. Brother. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, again we come to you. We see the shedding of the blood, which means nothing uh, less than your death. Uh, Lord, uh, our Father, you've given us your Son, and our sins were placed on him. And it was his death that made it so we could stand before you. And so we look forward to the day when we can stand in your presence and with him and share this company. So, Lord, we thank you. May again we you will stand and worship with us.
it out. I want to hear you. My crown's seated for just a minute. I want to ask a question. I should probably don't need to ask it. So what? So let's return as, as we close out our service. I want to close it out back where we began in 1 John. 1 John 2 verse 24. This is a charge to God's people. It's a charge to us. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise He has made to us. Eternal life. Just focus with me for a minute on verse 24. Just this one word, abide. John likes this word. Jesus liked this word. It is here, present, active, imperative. We are right now, ongoing, keeping on, abiding. It's an imperative. It's a command. Remain in what you have heard. Persist in it. Even pursue it. Cling to it. How? I hope you have seen this morning what I wanted you to see is the more you know Exodus, the more you can love Jesus. The more you know Leviticus, the more this atoning work just gets more glorious. Know your Bible. Learn from God's Word. Value it. This is the warning and the promise. It's laid out in 2 Peter. It's laid out in... First John, Christ, plus anything else equals heresy. Christ plus nothing else, look at verse 25, equals eternal life. This is Christianity. And if that's not what they believe, it doesn't matter what hangs on top of the building. It's not Christianity. All other religions say work, 
do, maybe you will. Christianity says Christ plus nothing gives us everything. So let us cling to that this morning. And I want to ask you something. Turn with me if you will. And this is our last place, I promise. John 14. Just ask yourself this morning. You have heard multiple promises. Person, work. Is there any chance that Jesus made a promise that won't come true? Not a chance. Is there any prayer that Christ ever prayed that the Father will not answer? It's a right answer to that question. John 14, verse 12 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Verse 13, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is true. Is there a chance that Jesus was going off the cuff here. and I hope not. If not, we're not saved. This is true. So what is He promising us? That if we have the mind of Christ, the Bible says that we can because we're in Christ. If we have the motive of Christ because the Holy Spirit has regenerated our very nature and now indwells in us. And if I desire the mission of Christ, which is His kingdom, just what Christ came declaring and what we must declare until He comes? Then pray. Ask. Because we ask with that mind. If we ask with that motive. If we ask our prayers with kingdom-sized prayer request, He says, I'll answer it. God promises to those who abide His power to accomplish His purpose. And it cannot fail. So are you praying kingdom-sized prayers today? Are we simply asking for the piddly things that the world asks for? I challenged you a couple weeks ago to adopt a missionary. Do you believe that your growth group's prayer for that missionary can cause things, can change things? Because the Bible does. So, I'm challenging us again. Is remember, we don't have to financially support our missionaries because we already do. That's just what Southern Baptists do. We're fixing to do an offering here at the back in just a minute. Our offering goes to support the IMB missionaries. Here's what we need to do. We must love them. We must care about them personally. We must believe that our prayers cause things, that our prayers are part of God's sovereign economy that He gives us the privilege to be a part of, and we dare not miss it. We dare not miss it. So I just implore you today to bathe in the Bible and remember its promises. Always with the mission in view. So let's, let's pray together for our offering. We will, as we leave, the offering will be at the back. But also, remember... 
Remember that God has not set us here to build a little mini me kingdom on earth. He has sent us here to declare that there is a kingdom and he has a king. And his name is Jesus. And him we are to declare until he comes. That's our mission, brothers and sisters. So Lord, we have sought to honor you as our father today. And Lord, we know that we have because we have honored your son. Lord, we remember, and we have remembered, and we remember him today. Lord, not just for an hour, but it is in Christ that we live and breathe and have our very being, so we go to make much of him. Lord, we do not give out of compulsion. We do not give out of a guilt trip. For our God owns everything, but our God has entrusted stewards with much. And we must be faithful, so Lord, stir up generosity among us so that we may not miss what you're doing here and all over the world, Lord. We want to be part of it. So Lord, now move on us as we worship you, and more importantly now, as we leave, we worship you with our life. Lord, now we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, which is our spiritual worship. Receive it, Lord. And use both our giving and our lives to your glory until you come. All God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed. You can give as you go.